Hello, and welcome to That Thing I Did for a Year, a podcast where we talk to fourth-year University of Toronto students about experiences they had in their time away from school. My name is Ilya. I'm a fourth-year industrial engineering student here at the University of Toronto, and I'll be talking to Henry today. Behind production is Arkady Arhungarotsky, a fourth-year engineering science student and the mastermind behind the operation. So, Henry, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Henry. I'm a fourth-year engineering science student in the robotics option, and um, I'm an international student, and mm -hmm. I came to Canada from China when I was 17, mm -hmm. and then um, I did one and a half PEYs, which is really interesting <laughs> compared to other people's case. So let me explain my timeline in a very brief way. Mm -hmm. So after second year, um, I did four months at a geotechnical company called Rock Science in Toronto, and then after that, I did 12 months at a startup in Toronto called Stack Adapt. And throughout these 16 months, I was building a startup, uh, which is an exam preparation platform called Vobi on the site. And we're able to raise uh, $300,000 at the end of the year and then raise the valuation to about $1.2 million. And then I came back to school for a third year and I did my half PUI afterwards. So that half PUI was consisted of uh, three months at Bloomberg in New York City and then four months at Wish in San Francisco. So that's a brief overview of my PUI. So your brief overview is sometimes longer than people's PUIs, but that's amazing. <laughs> um, but let's start at the beginning. Uh, you mentioned that you came here when you were 17 from China. Yes. Um, so was that like, did your family move over? or like, No, it was just me. It was just you. Yeah. Okay. So you came in, it sounds like for high school. Yes, I did grade 12 here. Mm -hmm. and had a a lot of struggle in passing through English 3U and 4U. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. How did you go about doing that? Um, I think I just put in a lot more time. Mm -hmm. So for each essay I write or I wrote, mm -hmm. <laughs> I put in about 40 hours. 40 hours? Yes. And that is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Canadian students probably just put in five and I put in 40. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, so were you living on your own or like what was the situation like there? No, I went to a boarding school in Hamilton. Got it. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, why did you decide to choose engineering science? So I think my family background is quite engineering oriented, especially my grandpa. Mm -hmm. And I've been building cars, um, machines when I was very little. So I always knew that I was going to do something on the, uh, along the lines of science and engineering. And then apparently engineering science is the most challenging program in Canada. And it gives you a broad introduction to a lot of sciences so that's why i chose engineering science mm -hmm. and then uft was obviously the way to go <laughs> because i love the campus and compared to waterloo of course got it and those were the two options you were considering i was also considering mcgill but i think toronto is a, a busier city let's say it that way mm -hmm. um, and why was that important to you because there are more opportunities for growth I think right. that's very important when you're choosing a city for your PUI or school. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you took advantage of that plenty over the course of the past few years. Yes. Uh, what was transitioning from high school to university like? I'd say it was pretty easy for me. Uh, I didn't have a lot of difficulties. So I, I don't have much to share during that transition. Right. Um, did you find that the English was less of a barrier in university or do you think you just improved at it? I think my most challenging time was in high school and the two English courses, grade 11, grade 12 English courses really prepared me well 
for university, but I didn't speak a lot of English at high school. So、um, I think I mainly improved my like oral communication during my PY, not through school, because、mm-hmm. we have a very large Chinese community. At school, <laughs> right, and that's why I spoke a lot of Chinese, not English. <laughs> so you just found it to be like more comfortable to find people who were like also Chinese international students and、yeah. you know in, interact there. Yeah, yeah, I I resonate with them, and then it's a close,、uh, very tight community.、Mm-hmm. Right, you feel what they feel, so you share experiences. So I think it's a very a lot easier to bond. Right. Yeah. So did you you went on a ton of internships over the course of、right. your university career? Did you do one after after first year? No, I had a hard time finding anything at all in first year because I had no clue how to write a resume or what an interview is like.、Mm-hmm. And really wish I had a mentor when I was in first year to give me directions. So now what I'm doing is、uh, coaching some second years and third years to help them. Get their career off the ground. That's what I've been doing on the site. That's awesome. What advice do you wish you had? Like you mentioned, your resumes and interviews, but like what specifically? Right. So I think the first advice is to be aware that career is very important part of your undergraduate studies. So、uh, know that you have to get out there and start interviewing as soon as possible.、Mm-hmm. And second is really find a good mentor. An upper year would be a really good option because they've been through the process. They know what's going on,、uh, how to write a resume, how to present yourself in an interview. So having someone coaching you in the long term is very beneficial.、Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is a difference between the way the international or like the international Chinese student community and the rest of the student community approach career during university? Yes, I think so. I think as a Chinese student,、uh, I think we are more focused on the academia side of things, so we might put less focus on、um, finding a PEY job. So my advice there is keep your mind open,、um, see what's out there, and then、um, be more engaged with the broader community, and then、um, be aware of what you need to do in order to land an internship.、Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, one good way to do that is to have a mentor who has、yes. already yes. gone through the process. Yes.、Um, you mentioned being engaged in the broader community.、Um, do you think that there is a strong disconnect between the like Chinese student international population and the rest of like University of Toronto or the rest of like University of Toronto Engineering? Do you think there's a big disconnect there? I don't think there's a big disconnect there.、Mm-hmm. Um, to put it in another way. The Chinese students don't share the same jokes as other <laughs> students. That's、okay. why we're not spending as much time together, right? Right.、Um, I think we should mingle a lot more.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think I got a lot of advice from Mohammed.、Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys interviewed before and learned how to like interview and write your resume from him.、Mm-hmm. So I think having someone outside of the Chinese student community is really helpful. Right. That that makes sense.、Mm-hmm. Um. A lot of the jobs you mentioned had a lot to do with programming and like、right. kind of digital technology. Was that something that you were interested in or doing before you came into university? No, I didn't know how to code before university, nor I knew how to type. Basically, I was really really slow. I was like twenty characters a minute. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So、okay. I learned、um, programming in university, and like you can from classes. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. And、okay. then from side projects as well, 
Um, so after first year, uh, a friend of mine from high school approached me to build a kind of a startup, a information sharing platform. Sure. Um, and back then, I didn't know how to code or how to put a thing together. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to write HTML, CSS, JavaScript, um, Python backend from scratch. Mm-hmm. And that's what got me started in um, the tech career. What made you want to learn to do that? Because that's not an easy thing to do. Right. So I think that my main motivation was building something I find deeply meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I started uh, my startup called Vobi mm-hmm. um, to help arts and science students learn how to prepare for exams more efficiently. And now I'm uh, participating in an initiative called Global Engineering Week, which is to expose engineering students to a more multidisciplinary approach of thinking mm-hmm. by considering not only the technical solution, but also the business behind it and then the stakeholders and the social impact you're making um, from that solution. So, so I think my main motivation is um, having an impact on people around me. And that motivated me to learn about technology. So technology is more like a means to an end for me, not, uh, not a point. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And like, as you said, it sounds like your focus is on uh, changing and expanding the way people think. Yes. Like that, that seems like it's a big deal for you. Yeah. Um, did, was that important to you even back in second year? I think it has been, always been my value mm-hmm. um, since very young age. Okay. Yeah. So in second year, you had already, you know, built or were in the process of building this information sharing platform right. with your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were moving through second year engineering science. What made you think then that, oh, I should do a PUI after second year? I was so tired of school. <laughs> um, I remember in second year, first term, we had 14 midterms. Okay. In engineering That's science. nuts. I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> I'm done with school. Um, and then also in the second term, I was taking a course called entrepreneurship, which is CHE 488. Mm-hmm. And then I was writing a business plan on along the way. I was thinking, I think... I should do this instead of going back to school for the next year because I really find passionate about this. So let me explain what I found passionate. So in first year, I think I had a really good time transitioning into university and get fairly good GPA. Mm-hmm. But a lot of my arts and science students weren't getting the same uh, same GPA while putting more time than me. Right. So I thought hmm, maybe I can help them learn more efficiently and through that, I can help a lot of students. And that's why I started Vobi, mm-hmm. um, the learning platform. Mm-hmm. And I can talk about more on that um, later in the well, show. So I guess my question is, yeah. did you start it in second year? Uh, I started writing a business plan in second year. Right. And the information platform was sparking my idea on this exam preparation platform. Okay. So explain, how did Vobi work? Right. So we're hoping to provide students with a full exam review experience from knowing nothing about the course and be ready in about five to 10 hours per course. So how that works is at the beginning, we give you an overview of the course. So you know what the topics are. And the second part is to give you a diagnostic quiz mm-hmm. to see what you're really strong at and what your weak points are. 
And based on that, we break down the knowledge into uh, modules. We call them concept example quiz modules. Mm -hmm. And um, what I mean by concept example quiz module is if we look at the way we study science, we first look at uh, the formula, the definition, which is the concept. But mm -hmm. we really need to apply that concept in examples in order to understand it. And for a last step is to constantly practicing it. So that's we call it concept example quiz model uh, module. Mm -hmm. And we can apply that to most science subjects, and you can quickly grasp a particular uh, concept very well. And after that, the last step is uh, mock exams to mm -hmm. see um, if you're ready to go. And then I think we're able to shorten it down, um, the review process from 20 hours to 10 hours. Mm -hmm. And we really use this strategy on the MAT 135-136 courses. And comparing the year before and after our implementation of Vobi, I think the class average went up by a letter grade <laughs> among the student. Yeah. Uh, I'm not 100% sure it was the sole reason, but I'm sure. I think it makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's extremely impressive. Mm -hmm. um, is this something that you were doing specifically for U of T courses or you would do it for specific courses? So the broader idea was not to focus on U of T, mm -hmm. but um, exp exploiting the similarity between courses from different universities. For example, um, the fundamental theorem of calculus. It's the same at UFT and at Waterloo and Queens and anywhere in the mm -hmm. world. So if you're able to um, de develop each module, it should be able to be transferred to other universities. So we're just building a network of knowledge modules and then re uh, regroup them together into different courses. So that concept leads to um, fixed amount of input, but infinite return. That makes a lot of sense. Right? Yeah. So you started writing up this business plan in the second semester of, of second year. Yeah. Um, and you thought, you know what, this is something that I should do. This mm -hmm. is not just an idea for a course. This right. is something I should actually do in the real world. Yeah. Um, did that combine at all with the idea of I should take a year off to work? Or how was that going through your mind? Right. So I was ready to do that, but not risk everything. Mm -hmm. right? um, I think my rationale there was if I'm able to find a PUI, I'll do this thing on the site. But if not, then I'll delay it for a year. Mm -hmm. And luckily, in late March, I landed a job. <laughs> um, so And then I was ready to do that. Mm -hmm. And so over the year... Uh, we grew the student user base to about 4,000 users at UFT for first year. Wow. And 17% uh, of the student body actually paid for our services. Of like the entire, of like those 4,000 people, 17% paid? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So compared to the industry average of 2% for freemium models, I think that was pretty good. That's amazing. Yeah. And then at the end of that result, we were able to raise $300,000 seed funding at a $1.2 million valuation. So you, when you were raising this seed funding, was that while you were working at these other companies? Yes. Okay. It was a difficult time. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, so let's, let's look into that. What mm. is it like to raise seed funding? Like, what does that process look like? And what, what did it look like for you? Right. So for me, um, it was mainly on my co-founder's side. So he was mainly doing the uh, fundraising. Mm -hmm. And we went to see about 100 investors, uh, mainly in China. 
because mm-hmm. that's where my co-founder has his connections. Right. So it's more about who you know than um, how good your numbers are. Because sure. if you don't know them, it's hard to trust you. Right. Yeah. That makes so, sense. So I just suggest my fellow listeners to build relationships as early as possible and keep in touch with your uh, the investors you've pitched to, mm-hmm. regardless of the, if they give you money. Right. Just to keep those relationships because that's going to be important for raising funding later. Not just raising money, but they'll give you mentorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, ask you very important questions in your startup. They'll guide you through uh, the journey of building a startup. Mm-hmm. So I think that's very valuable. Yeah. Was it just the two of you working on this? No. Actually, we, um, we started as two, and then we grew the team to about 60 people in the summer. Six zero. Six zero. yes. Um, but most people were part-time. Were they part-time programmers? What, were the, what was the contribution okay. of 60 so people? Let me break it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have about uh, five programmers mm-hmm. from engineering. They, they were part-time as well. And then the main body of it was content developers because mm-hmm. we have to de- develop these concept example quiz modules for students. So we have to develop the content and that takes a lot of human effort. Mm-hmm. So in that summer, uh, we had that many people because we were expanding to not just calculus, but also linear algebra, mm-hmm. physics, chemistry, biology, and economics. Mm-hmm. So we were really expanding the market. So we needed a lot of people. Right. So were you just paying these people part-time to develop content? Yes. Okay, got it. And some of that is um, also le- leads to how my startup failed at a later stage. Okay, so let's let's get to that. So right. you got you raised a first round of three hundred thousand dollars from mm-hmm. was that from one investor or from multiple investors? Just one investor. From one investor. Okay, yes. So you made the three hundred thousand um, dollars. You're still working at at this point. Are you at Stack Adapt? Yes. Okay. What happens then? Right. Um, so we're trying to use this money f- to expand our content. Mm-hmm. Right. So to give you some more back background. Um, we had really success, a lot of success in the calculus and linear algebra market, mm-hmm. as, as I mentioned. But we really didn't test out the biology or physics or chemistry markets. And we just assumed that this business model would transfer. Because right? we got 4,000 users in these markets. And for each user, we had about uh, $10 of revenue mm-hmm. and then $5.5 of cost mm-hmm. of acquiring them. So by by this extrapolating this these numbers, it should work out, right? Mm-hmm. But we didn't really test it out, and we expanded so quickly, and we had a budget of about fifty thousand dollars to develop four courses, but we ended up spending about hundred fifty thousand dollars to develop four courses. Yes, mm-hmm. and it was extreme extremely costly, and then that kind of contributed to we didn't have enough money at a later stage to do other things, or even to pivot. Mm-hmm. And um, also, it proved that in these markets, um, we didn't have as much traction. Right? So compared to math market, we why do you think that was? Um, I think there are a few main reasons. One is that um, the way you learn this course is a little bit different, and second of all, um, I wasn't very hands-on in the second year of operation, so our marketing efforts weren't quite there. Mm-hmm. And third was that uh, we mainly relied on 
the Calculus One course Mat 135 to help us expand the market but then we get a different instructor mm. and this instructor was in her first year of teaching and he told the entire class that no external resources will help you so that really uh, affected our credibility wow okay and that was detrimental to our business yeah so it went downhill from there <laughs> uh-huh like when did you realize that like oh we are running out of money um at the middle of the summer I, I was doing some calculations. This is insane. This, yeah. this money um, expenses is too much. Mm-hmm. Right? And um, in the second year of operation, which is um, December 2017, so um, then we're at a balance of about $50,000. And mm-hmm. we really didn't have enough money to do other things. Mm-hmm. And since the user traction wasn't that great, we were the team was losing morale. Mm-hmm. I think that was more important than not having money. If right, is that people weren't motivated to continue putting in work because they weren't seeing the results they yes, wanted. Yes, yes. Our user number dipped by 80% and usage per user dipped by another 80%. So if you do that math, there's not much left. It's not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so like, did people start like deciding to leave the company? Um, so our content developers, they were done with their development in summer. Sure. So that was on time. And then we had a few core members to handle the marketing. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going back to school, so I handed it off to them. And I think there was a lot of challenges for them um, to run the business because that was their first time as well. And sure. I, I think I didn't do a good job of coaching them. Like I didn't give them everything they needed to succeed mm-hmm. so that's why they were struggling and then um just didn't click with a user base right so it had a very tough start and later on it was even tougher because there were other uh, competitors like prep 101 mm-hmm. um, like easy four on the campus there are many providers alternatives so right. we didn't get that initial market so that was challenging Mm-hmm. It's a, you're framing this like it was mostly a marketing challenge, it feels like. Right, yeah. marketing challenge because perception is reality uh-huh. for such services. Right? Also, um, if you don't have the students perceive it as something really valuable, they don't think it's valuable, so they don't use it as much. Right. So, so I think the main failure was um, first, aligning the value with students, and second mm-hmm. is marketing it. Right. Okay. So uh, you said in the summer you realized that like you're low on funds. Mm-hmm. Um, you are coming back to school in September to right. do your third year. Mm-hmm. What was your thought process on like what your actions are from there? Like how do you wind down a startup? Right. Um, that's a very interesting question. Mm-hmm. That was tough. <laughs> yeah. I think how it went down was. Um, so I handed off to the team sure. and we had a meeting in December uh, after the first term of, uh, of my third year and we looked at the numbers to see if there are any chances we can bring it back on track. And then we, we kept doing that for two months but it didn't show any sign of returning. So we decided that um, it was almost impossible to turn it around for this physical year. 
and then we cut all the expenses. We shut down the server, um, main servers. We stopped paying for a lot of services, and then we cut our expenses to the lowest possible while still keep some of the services running. And then um, came to an agreement with the team that we're not continuing this year. Mm-hmm. And if we do have a chance, we'll come back to this at a later year. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, how I uh, was winding it down. That makes sense. And that sounds like a, like a really good and structured way to do it. <laughs> what do you think is the most important thing you learned from the experience of like raising that and then winding down a startup? Right. I think there are a few things. One is find something you're really passionate about. Uh, it can be an initiative, can be a cause, can be a startup, or it can be a research project. Right? Mm-hmm. Really um, be passionate about it because it takes a lot of time and effort. So I think throughout my first PEY, I was putting in constantly about 80 to 90 hours work weeks to, to work two jobs at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Basically. So if you don't have that passion, it's very hard. So that's first advice. Second advice is um, really learn about how to lead a team and develop your interpersonal skills. I think a lot of that is missing from the engineering education. And that's partially why we're starting this engineering uh, Global Engineering Week. So throughout PY, you get the chance to work with a team that you really care about. So leverage that opportunity to, uh, to become a better leader, to... Um, to understand how your team is feeling and how to drive that team forward. Right? That's the second. Um, I think just two main advices. First, um, find something you're passionate about. Second is develop your leadership skills. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we've got tons more to talk about. We're going to take a break right now. Uh, we'll be right back with more with Henry. And we're back with Henry. So we just talked quite a bit about the startup that you were working on, but while you were working at that startup, you were also working at two different companies, Rock right. Science and Stack Adapt. Mm-hmm. What was it like having your first professional working experiences at the same time as working on a startup? It was quite interesting. Let me explain my life at Rock Science. Mm-hmm. So that was my first experience of coding as a professional. So imagine learning uh, how to learn object-oriented design, learn a new language, and then code at the level of a real software engineer. That was a challenge, Mm -hmm. but uh, the takeaway there was applying that knowledge gained as rock science to apply it to my startup. And later on, uh, coaching my other uh, software engineering interns at my my startup. Um, And then the second experience at Stack Adapt was mainly on how to grow a startup because when I first joined Stack Adapt, it was at 18 people. And before the time I left, it was around 60 people. So over a year, it, it grew quite a lot. Wow. So you ended up being a senior employee. <laughs> yeah, I was older. Like, I was at the company longer than most full-times. Right. So that was quite interesting. Um, so learn, seeing Stack Adapt ups and downs really transfer into my learning um, and that learning transfer into my uh, actions at my startup. It's, it's also interesting to note that both of those experiences were at startups. Uh, no, the first one actually is not a startup. Oh, okay. RockSense has been there for many, many years. It's just a smaller oh, wow. company. Okay, got it. Yeah. Got it. How would you differentiate between those two things? Um, so for RockSense, 
that my coworkers were more likely in their fifties. Uh-huh. So they're they're very experienced. They're um, very knowledgeable. Um, and then Sakata, the average age, I'd say around twenty five. Uh huh. So like our age. So I had a lot more bonding experience with people at Stack Adapt, um, but at Rock Science, I really learned how to do software engineering in the proper way. Really do it right. Yeah, do it right. Uh huh. Gotcha. Yeah. Not as much like hack code, all that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, so you wrap up with these two companies, you wind up Obi, and then you enter third year. Um, what made you think that like I want to do another like half PY after third year? Right. So my first two internships were in Toronto. So I wanted to go abroad and see how leading organizations work. So I was applying to only American companies in my third year at the career fair, and um, maybe many people have heard of the joke from where Louis said. Cali or bust. <laughs> so I was going Cali or, or bust. Okay, got it. And luckily, I landed interviews with Bloomberg and Wish. So why I chose the two was Bloomberg is a well-established corporation in New York City. And mm-hmm. New York City is very unique to its culture. And Wish, on the other hand, uh, is a very new startup, which was established in 2012. And it grew to about $10 billion valuation with only 500 employees mm-hmm. and it represents Silicon Valley culture. I think there's so much that I can learn from both companies and that's at why I chose to accept those offers. You were at both companies as a software engineer? Uh, no. Uh-huh. At Bloomberg, I was the only non-PhD data science intern on their AI group. Got it. Okay. Um, why was that something that you wanted to do over software engineering? Um, because in third year, as a robotic student, all you learn is machine learning. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you have to apply the knowledge somewhere or you feel bad about yourself, right? <laughs> uh, we've heard that theme. Yeah. Okay. And then how I landed that job was interesting because I got an offer as a software engineering intern at Bloomberg in October mm-hmm. in 2017. And then in, in February 2018, a research scientist from Bloomberg actually gave a talk at U of T. Right. And then I was like, I got to meet this guy and I talk to him. Maybe I can land a job on the AI team. Mm-hmm. And I did. Um, so I talked to him, expressed my interest, and then they set up an interview, a machine learning interview for an hour in March. And somehow I got through and then got that job. So I was working on a team of 40 PhDs. And there were a few, a handful of non-PhDs. Got it. So I was working side by side with them on the most challenging problems in the financial world in terms of machine learning. So what, what that was, was that like? That was a lot of math, <laughs> a lot of smart people, and read a lot of papers. So I think in the first week of my internship, I read about 25 papers. Mm-hmm. And that was very unique. So I think the takeaway there for other people is opportunities might land in a very interesting way. So maybe they come for a talk and then you talk to them and you get an AI job in a, in a very good company. So um, 
imagine the the possibilities. Right. right. There's there's so so many ways you can land great jobs. Right. And it seems like you were reaching for a couple of different ways to do that. Yeah. Um, before we get into talking about Wish, right. um, you were those the only two companies that you interviewed with? Not really. I also interview with TripAdvisor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was about it. Um, were you only interviewing with tech companies? Oh, um, actually, I was also interviewing with Google for the APM role, which is Associate Product Manager. Got it. In from September to November, mm-hmm. and then later in third year, I was also interviewing with some uh, management consulting companies. So interesting. Why did you decide to also look into management consulting, given your tech background? Yes. So during my journey of building my startup, I realized two things were very important. One is your technical expertise. One is your interpersonal skills. And I realized my interpersonal skills or say business acumen were lacking compared to business students. Mm -hmm. And I think there are two main ways of three, three ways of learning business acumen. One is going to business school, get an MBA which costs you $100,000, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you can go to management consulting firms to work for a few years to learn from the best um, best management consultants in the world. Mm-hmm. And three is doing a business from scratch. Mm-hmm. But the third option is very likely to, to fail. Sure. Right? So I thought, why don't I just explore the options of um, becoming a management consultant? Mm-hmm. Right. And then um, I think the application process was interesting for me as an international student because a lot of their job is how you present yourself, right? And I was really lacking those skills. Mm-hmm. Thinking about English as your second language, that was hard. Um, and then I was writing a cover letter and re- resume, and I was sending to three companies, Boston Consulting Group, KPMG, and Deloitte for their management consultant position. I was like, okay, maybe I'll give it a shot. And then if I learn anything at all, I'll just give it a try. Mm-hmm. Right? And to my surprise, all of them give me an interview. Mm-hmm. And from the moment I learned about that I had an interview to the actual interview was five days. <laughs> so I had to learn about management consulting in five days. And apparently it, they didn't go well. <laughs> I didn't pass at even one first round uh, that time. But later on, I interviewed with KPMG again. And then with more practice, I was able to pass the first round. And the second round was doing a presentation and doing a lot of Excel. I didn't know anything about Excel, Uh (laughs) so I didn't pass the second round. But the takeaway there is that for international students like me, don't be afraid. As long as you practice enough, you'll be able to land a very communication-heavy job like local students. Right. All you have to do is practice more. Mm-hmm. And that skill, the communication skill, how to present yourself, how to stru- think in a structured way, and how to speak in bullets, really transfer to my interviewing experience at tech companies. How do you mean? Right, so there are two parts of technical interviews. One is the fit, and second is the technical part. And a lot of students ignore the fit part, thinking, if you can code, they'll hire you. Mm-hmm. Not really. <laughs> right. Um, they want to see that you're an interesting and nice person to work with. So uh, with my prep in management consulting, I was able to 
pass every single uh, behavioral interview at tech companies. Right. Yeah. So for a programmer, you were for a program management consultant. Yes. <laughs> and they're really impressed that you can speak in a structured way. Because that's rare. Uh, that's rare who, in the... Who's focused on programming. Yes. All right. Interesting. Uh, do you think that helped you with your interview with Wish or was that... Did that happen previously? Oh, that, that, um, so the management consulting happened after Wish. Got it. What was working at Wish like? Wish is a very typical Silicon Valley startup. And I think the one main takeaway there is um, their data-driven growth strategy. So what I mean is Wish as a company has a metric um, describing how successful they are, uh, which is uh, gross merchant value is how much stuff they sell every year. So as a background, what does Wish do? Okay, so Wish is an e-commerce app um, that sells cheap stuff <laughs> from China. <laughs> and its target audience is people who value money a lot more than time. So you might get very, very cheap stuff that ships in about a few months. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and then... Com coming back to the data-driven approach. Yeah, you were saying they have a metric. Yeah, they have a metric for the company. And for each team, you have a separate metric as well. And as a team, you're responsible for this metric. So for me, I was working on the infrastructure team. And our metric was the downtime. So our whole goal is to minimize that downtime. Mm -hmm. right? And then based on that metric, they give out yearly bonuses based on your... Um, your contribution right and they were giving millions and millions tens of millions of bonuses just based on those metrics wow that's really interesting and then uh, but they're of course the good and bad parts of a data-driven approach i think the good part is that uh, one you have a very clear goal mm -hmm. second is that it's very objective and third is that it's very easy to measure how how much you're improving right but i think a lot of silicon valley companies uh fail to realize or are starting to realize that the bad parts of a data-driven approach such as one is you lose the bigger picture right because a single metric can't capture all the information that's measuring your success mm -hmm. and second is that by optimizing for a metric you're focusing on the short term so you're ne neglecting the long term for uh, for several reasons and third is that um, there are a lot of human aspects of a technology that you can't really capture in a, in a number. Right. For example, uh, Wish, it, it's, it's a good app, right? You can mm -hmm. buy cheap stuff, but it doesn't feel as nice as many other apps such mm -hmm. as Instagram, right? So I think what Wish is m missing out on is how people feel about it. Mm -hmm. And that can't really be quantified as a number. Right. So that's why when building a solution or developing your own product, think about how people feel about it. Mm -hmm. That's very important. There's, uh, if you're interested in the kind of thing and like the quantification of these kind of softer aspects of user experience, mm -hmm. look into how Wattpad does. Do you know Wattpad? 
No, uh, cool. well, Wattpad is like a, like a story sharing um, like app and website. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're Toronto based and they're really really wow. cool. And one thing that like I mean they've gone to the point where there were have been books that have been published that started out as Wattpad stories. So wow. they do really cool work. Um, and one thing that makes them exceptional is their user research team has really deep metric for things like um, like user engagement with a story or you know how comfortable users feel. And they have very very specific metrics, not just clicks. Mm-hmm. Like they were, they're really, really typical on that, and they've done a like a cool job that I haven't seen anywhere else quantifying the softer aspects of user experience, so that they can have all those benefits you mentioned mm-hmm. from a data-driven approach without losing the human side. You know, somebody that's like really somebody, good. yeah, yeah, it's 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 really cool that that's like starting to happen because, like as you said, there are downsides to only looking at financial and technical metrics when evaluating a company. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's, I'll it, look into that. No, no, it's it, it's really cool. Um, it's something. It's interesting that that's something that you picked up. Do you think that that applies to some of the stuff that we do at school or stuff that you see at other companies? Or is that a Silicon Valley thing? I think it's a, a pretty Silicon Valley thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the te- uh, that transfer to school is just don't look at your GPA, right? Yeah. Uh, focus on other things as well. Right. Don't just look at the one number that you're optimizing yes. for. Yeah. Okay. So you spent um, four months at Wish. Yes. So and that was this past September through Jeez. December. Yes. Okay, got it. What was coming back to school like? Oh, um, first it's very good to see all of your old friends, mm-hmm. and second is uh, at school you have a lot more flexible time. Right. So it's not as set up for you uh, in terms of work hours mm-hmm. so you have to really manage that time and I think there's a lot of learning you can transfer into school from PUI I don't have those mm-hmm. on top of my head no worries <laughs> um, but uh, do you feel like did you find school to be more or less meaningful after like your myriad of work experiences I think I feel it's mm, a lot more meaningful especially and came back from PUI after second year. So coming back for third year mm-hmm. and learning more about uh, machine learning, I think I can see more clearly how they can be applied to real world problems. That makes sense. Okay. Did you stay engaged with anything on campus or at school at all while you were away um, at Bloomberg and Wish? Yes. Um, so in my um, during my time at Bloomberg and Wish, I was working with a few engineering science students, um, such as Malik Ismail, 1T6, Philip Liu, 1T9, and uh, Maurice Huan, who is 2T0. So we're working on an initiative called Global Engineering Week to expose engineering students to, um, as we said, multidisciplinary thinking through a few approaches. One is uh, we integrate global engineering into the courses in the format of a case study. discussion questions or testable materials uh-huh. <laughs> second is around events uh, so this year we're throwing a speaker panel we're inviting um, Google Google brains uh, head of AI Wow and a lot of very important figures to campus in mid-march and the third one is a social impact hackathon we call it we call it hack the globe to really engage um, 150 students to solve a social impact challenge um, at a global scale. Got it. So um, I think 
by working on that we were making working with the school a lot so we got first got a sponsorship from uh, CGEN which is the center of global engineering and then we got support from vice dean of engineering and then VP of UFT and then president of UFT and then externally we had support from Boston Consulting Group Google.org uh, BMO so we we had a lot of connections um, at school so I think that's how I was inter- um, connected to school mainly and backtrack to my second year my startup was on campus mainly so of course I had a lot of interactions with students right yeah um, do you think it was important for you to be engaged with things at school even as you were not in Toronto I say so um, it, you I think it's a gr- great opportunity for you to stay in touch with your friends and to see what's going on at school mm-hmm. right? so when you come back you don't feel as disengaged mm-hmm. that makes sense because um, it seems like you've gotten right into the flow of things as you've gotten back. Yeah. Um, so you seem to be like somebody who's always planning one step ahead in terms of what, what you're doing next. Like you don't, you don't seem like your motor ever shuts off. Um, <laughs> while you were working at Wish and you were working on Global Engineering Week, were you, what were you like working on for like the future, even for say like this summer? Right. So I was really devoting into lending my internship for the coming summer. Mm-hmm. And um, my rationale there is I had exposure to startups, um, to fintech, to uh, Silicon Valley companies. I, I think I wanted some more exposure in the big four tech companies. So I was setting up my bar to get one of the big four tech. And uh, let me talk about my process of how to land a tech job. And they, right. I was reflecting on that a lot throughout this year. Mm-hmm. So my first step was drafting a really good resume. By by that, what I mean is uh, I wrote about, I, I edited about 100 times. Wow. <laughs> so I went to about 20 people to critique my resume. And I look at it once again every day mm-hmm. to improve on little things. Uh, I don't suggest you, <laughs> everyone, to edit 100 times, but constantly thinking about it how to improve yourself improve your story is very valuable and from what I see of helping other students writing their resume is they don't focus on the impact enough sure they clearly explained what you did but what differences you make at those companies right Mm -hmm. and what technology did you use those are very interesting for a recruiter so Mm -hmm. my template is usually I achieved what by doing what using what technology right especially for tech jobs i think that's a very good template for each item then they see that you can have an impact and that you know the relevant tech yes and the second thing i did was a lot of interview prep and that relates to why waterloo students are in general more successful at landing better jobs Mm -hmm. think about this they go through this process seven times in their undergrad six times for their co-op and one time for full-time so by the end of it they're masters at it yes and um, they get really high pressure right you, you heard saying of cali or bust sure. so they have uh, they motivate you to land great jobs but as a comparison you have to students only get once or twice opportunities to really polish your interviewing skills interview is more or less like a game mm-hmm. you just have to know how to play it well for example for tech jobs there's a well-defined scope of knowledge, right? Three main areas. One is um, data structures and algorithms. 
second is system design, and three is general technology. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how I prepared for this game mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, was three main ways. One is uh, I suggest everyone who are looking for a software job to look at is uh, leecode.com mm-hmm. or HackerRank. So I practiced for about 350 questions. Mm-hmm. That's too much. <laughs> I think somewhere around 200 is more than enough. Right. You always seem to do too much, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the second one is around um, prepping it in a, with a real person, with a friend. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll give you really good feedback. And third is an online prepping platform called Pramp. It's mm-hmm. totally free. It's called pramp.com. Gotcha. So you can schedule a technical interview with a person online as many times as you want. So you wow. go for an hour, 30 minutes for you, and 30 minutes for the other person. That's how I really get good at explaining yourself in the interview. Nice. Okay. And yeah. that gives you like exposure to people without you necessarily having to grab people from your life. Yes. Yeah. And the third, uh, another piece I did was... Um, practicing for behavioral questions. Mm-hmm. The first step I did was um, outlining all the things I want to talk about in the Google Doc mm-hmm. and then practice with a partner constantly. Right. Practice makes perfect. Although you're interviewing for a tech job, they don't care as much as a management consultant job, but that really makes a difference. Right, because that'll be the difference between you and somebody else. Yes. So I say uh, before you go for an interview, prep for at least two months and make it a priority for you. And I think everyone in engineering can land almost any kind of job mm-hmm. if you put, put your mind to it. Right. Um, I think there's a famous saying in engineering science, if you do coding for three months, you prep for coding for three months, you can land any big tech for. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, I didn't know that was, a, <laughs> that was a saying around engineering science. That's, uh, I think the rest of us should hear that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, when they'll hear your story, uh, they'll say, sure, but how do I get the interview in the first place? And you mentioned your resume and whatnot. Do you think GPA is as big a deal as people make it out to be? It depends on the company. So two of my experiences are actually related to GPA. One is rock science. They, during my interview, they pretty much asked me, what's your GPA? Oh, your look, GPA looks good. Oh, That's it. Yeah. yeah. And then Wish had a really big focus on GPA as well. And then there's a research recently saying that GPA is the best indicator of work uh, work performance in the long term mm-hmm. because it shows how much you're willing to dedicate to your work. Right. Right. And then um, for this year, um, I feel like GPA isn't as important when you have enough experience mm-hmm. and is more about going through referrals. Right. That's something um, you don't really hear um, from your friends because they haven't gone through this process enough so the best way is to get an internal referral from a manager mm-hmm. inside a company and second is go through in- referral from your friend I- I'm pretty sure at this stage you have friends working at every company you mm-hmm. want to work at and then just go through a referral you have much better chance of getting an interview than just applying online mm-hmm. applying online is more like a black hole Right. So for my latest recruitment round, I sent out about 75 applications. Mm-hmm. I got about 
15 interviews and landed six offers, including Google and then Asana and a few pretty cool companies. Um, so the takeaway there is go through referrals. Right. Yeah. It gives you a better shot. Yes. And then another good way to do it is if you can find out the manager's information or contact email online, just um, say hi to them, send a short message. So ask not for an interview, but ask for a coffee chat mm -hmm. for 15 minutes. It shouldn't take them too much time, right? So throughout that 15 minutes, let them know about you personally. So through that 15 minutes, they can give you an internal referral mm -hmm. because they know you personally. Right. And then after that, it's a very high successful rate. So uh, I met up with the UFT grad in, in the Valley and he said he sent out about 125 applications and he goes th he went through the coffee chat route and he got 80% response rate wow yeah so and that's interesting because i think some people when they hear referrals they say okay but what if i don't know people and what you're saying is that you can get to know people you can get to know people yeah. and uft has a strong alumni network and mm -hmm. i'll give you an example of how i landed google so i was connected to this product manager at google on linkedin I never talked to him before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I was in, um, after the technical part of Google's interview, I was in a team matching part for your project. Sure. And I had a really short timeline of one and a half weeks. I have to lend something or I have to take another offer. So I saw this alumni online. I sent him a message. Hey, I'm Henry. Uh, this is what I've done. Uh, I'm pretty interested in your team. So can you uh, talk to any engineering managers that might have a project? on your end and he actually did reach out and that's how I landed my uh, first um, host matching interview and then I got an offer from there mm -hmm. so even if they're your acquaintance just acquaintance leverage that um, just based on the merit of alumni right. <laughs> you get so much out of it and right. UFT has a huge alumni network right true so you don't have to be good friends with them just know them that's awesome yeah so you ended up following up on this alumni connection and you ended up taking us uh, accepting the offer at Google. Mm -hmm. So that's where you're headed this summer. Yes. And then after that, I have another um, six week internship at a blockchain startup called Celo. Mm -hmm. I think what I found, can learn from there is um, both of their founders have done a startup before and sold it for $70 million. Mm -hmm. And one of them is UFT alumni. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I think what I can learn is how uh, serial entrepreneurs uh, scale up their business. Mm -hmm. right? I think there's so much to learn from mentorship than reading online or working at a bigger company if you want to do startups. Mm -hmm. yeah, mentorship is so important. And you see these people who have already done it successfully, you want to see how they've yes. done it. Yes. Uh, do you think like the startup space and like starting your own company is something that you would still be interested in in the future? Yes, I think that would be my um, main career goal mm -hmm. for my future. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you th think you're still um, enamored with this, like expanding the way people think space? Yes, yeah. I think so. Uh, I don't have a clear idea yet. Of course. But I have a few th things in mind. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But before doing my own startup, I, I'm thinking about joining a startup and learning for a few years. Because uh, my, my takeaway from my first startup was that I didn't know enough. Mm -hmm. Or um, I, there's so much I needed to learn. Right. So I think by learning more from successful people, they'll set me up for a better 
a better chance of succeeding in the startup world. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, looking back over your time, um, both on your half PY and also like the full one you did, mm-hmm. what would you change? What I would change is, f- I think the first thing I would change is um, explore more options in my second year, right? Um, for example, I did enjoy my time at Rock Science and Stack Adapt, but maybe if I started earlier, I could have better options. Mm-hmm. Right? I could explore internationally more. Um, and what else would I change? Actually, there, there's not much I would change. Oh, I really it. enjoyed it. Yeah, and it sounds like you've gotten a lot out of it and you've grown a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned mentorship like quite a bit and yeah. you clearly have a lot to share with especially mm-hmm. like current students who are interested in one of the or many of the many things that you've done mm-hmm. um, if somebody would like to reach you for like a coffee chat or like a piece of advice where could they find you they can add me on facebook mm-hmm. um i think that's well, the that's the best way or to add me on linkedin i'll reply in any platform on okay any platform cool so we'll link those in the episode description yeah. that, that'd be great and I'm really glad to help help you guys um, yeah. do better. And we're really happy to have you here on That Thing I Did For A Year. It's um, a pleasure to be on the show. Awesome. Uh, this has been That Thing I Did For A Year. We'll see you next time.